as we get started in this sermon, we're in week two of this series on work, looking at work and identity. And last week, we kind of set this all up of this series on work and vocation because uh, work is something we'll spend a lot of our lives doing. Over 90,000 hours or so of your lives are going to be spent doing work. And so we said we want to ask the question, how do you connect your work to God's work? What does it all mean? What does it all matter and amount up to at the end of the day if it's not connected to the work of God? And so what does that look like? And so last week, we talked about work and identity. And we said from the very beginning, work is a good thing. You are made to work. Even though it doesn't seem like that at some times, it seems like it's a punishment. It's not. Work is before the fall. And so you are made to work, but you're also not made by your work. Uh, that's not who you are. It doesn't define you. And we, we talked about that's a difficult balance uh, to, to live in your life. And so we won't re-preach that sermon. You can go back and listen to it on iTunes or the website. But work and identity is where we started. And today is work and integrity. And so let me ask you a question. What kind of worker do you want to hire? What kind of service or worker do you want to pay for? Maybe the best way to ask it is this. What kind of reviews do you look for on Yelp? Honest. Passionate. Punctual. Competent. Right? Now the moment of truth here. What kind of worker are you? What kind of worker does God call you to be? Well, that's what we're going to dig into this morning, Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Dave just read it, but I'd love for you to grab a Bible if you didn't when he asked you to. If you don't have a Bible, pull it up on your phone, BibleGateway.com. Pull it up on an app. We'd love for you at Phoenix Bible Church to look at the Bible with your own eyes. You can see what God has to say to you. Our first point that we're going to see in this passage is this, that we should work heartily. We see that verse 23. Look at the text with me. It starts out. Whatever you do, work heartily. Now, when I first read this, my first thought was, why heartily? That makes me think of beef stew or a hearty meal, right? Maybe I was just hungry at the time. I don't know. But um, why, why heartily and why not just work hard? Well, it's interesting. If you look at it, that word in the original language, heartily, means to work out of your soul. To work out of your soul. So it's not just external effort for men, as it says in verse 23. It's not just, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, it's not just giving eye service to other people. And so when other people are around, you're like, externally, you're, you're really busy, you're working hard, so other people will see that. No, it's a, a dedication, it's a soulful work. And so he uses this language of work heartily because it's work done with excellence. You see, everybody's expected to work hard. We don't need the Bible to tell us that. Your boss will tell you that, right? I mean, just think about it. What boss have you ever had in your life who said on the first day of work, orientation, just said, hey, first things first, just want to get this out of the way right now. What we expect of you is the very, very minimum. Every day, you come in, we ask you to do stuff, we just want you to do the minimum that we ask. No boss would ever ask that because the expectation from any boss, from any company in our society, Christian or not, is that you would work hard, right? And so the Bible, Christianity, is a little bit unique and different in that we don't just work hard. That's assumed. You work heartily. It matters to you. You put your soul 
into your work with sincere dedication, with excellence. That's the mark of the believer in the workforce. You go hard. That's how we roll as Christians. And so you have baseline, work hard. Paul's raising the bar to say you work heartily with excellent, with, with dedication. And I love this, a quote from a guy named Eugene Cho, who's a pastor and author in Seattle. I think it sums it up really well. He said, don't mistake humility with mediocrity. In all things, small or large, do it with all your heart. Do it with beauty. Do it with integrity. Don't mistake humility with mediocrity. We, we do that as Christians sometimes. Our, our outside world thinks about Christians like that sometimes, that we think about, well, I want to be humble, right? God calls me to be humble, and so I don't want to talk about what I do a lot. I don't want to make a big deal out of what I do a lot. I mean, my first priority is family, which it is. You know, I, my fr- first priority is serving Jesus, and so I'm going to go to church and read my Bible and pray, which all those things are true. But sometimes in this desire for humility, we end up with mediocrity, right? So much so that I was talking to a CFO the other day, and he was just saying, Tim, he's a Christian. But he says, sometimes we don't always look to hire other Christians because they're high maintenance. He said, because they they elevate family and all these things that we do agree with, and we don't want anybody to sacrifice their family on the altar of work. But they take it so far, it ends up being an excuse for laziness. We know we got to give them extra time off and and extra uh, things on the side because they're navigating their faith and their family. And he said, really what we should be about as Christians is we should be able to do both well and prioritize and set the example for everybody else. We should want to hire Christians because we do work with excellence. So don't mistake humility for mediocrity. Another thing he says in that quote is, in all things small or large, Paul says a similar thing. He says, whatever you do, work heartily. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, whatever you feel like is actualizing your gifts and talents. Work hard. Work heartily. He doesn't say, whatever you do when you find your career that you love, work heartily. He says, whatever you do. Now, context is helpful here. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing this letter to the Christians at Colossae. And in this specific section, Colossians 3, he's talking about slaves. Right before this, he's talking about slaves. Now, we've talked about slavery and how God doesn't condone slavery, but how he addresses it and talks about how to work within it to affect change, to work out of it. And so I won't get into all that today, but the context helps us as Paul's just been talking about slaves with their masters. The job doesn't get any worse. And he's saying, whatever you do, if you are the owner, if you are at the bottom, you work hard. And so I know we have different jobs represented in here. I know some of you have your dream job. Some of you don't. Some of you are working towards that. Some of you just say, hey, I just have a job. Listen, it's not worse than a slave. I don't care who your boss is. I don't care the situation, the the income, the 
the benefits, the lack of benefits. It's not worse than a slave. And Paul is going to say, hey, slaves work hard, employees work hard, employers work hard. Whatever you do, you work hard. Because listen, you don't develop this heartily work effort when you get your dream job. You don't just decide in that moment, I got the dream job, now I'm going to give my all to this. I'm going to give my soul to this. No, that starts when you're 16 and you work a crummy job. That starts in college when you navigate a part-time job and a full load at school and you don't like either one, right? That, That desire, that integrity is developed over time. And then when you get your dream job, You already got the work ethic down. And so Paul says, whatever you do, you work with this soulful, passionate, excellent work. I know for me, one of my first jobs was working at Target, and I was the uh, cart pusher. Don't be jealous. And so I would go out at first in this job, and I would just think, I hate cashiering worse than I hate cart pushing. And so I'm going to take as long as I can pushing these carts. And before I knew it, I began to see people at Target. It was a smaller town that I grew up in. And they knew I was a Christian, and they knew I went to church, and they would see me kind of slacking on the job. And so I began to think about that and think, well, okay, if I'm a Christian and everything I do magnifies God, I guess i got to push the carts harder. And so I did. I went out, and I started to time myself and think, how quickly can I push these carts in? I started to develop a technique. You didn't know there was a technique with pushing carts. But I worked for Target for like six years, so you develop something like that over time, right? So I started to realize if you push to the side and you swing out real big and then push in, you can push a lot more carts. And I began to develop technique and some more work effort with pushing these carts. Now, before long, I wasn't pushing carts anymore. I was running the service desk. Again, don't be jealous. Right? I was working the service desk, and before long, I started putting the, the return items away, and I started crushing it and interacting with the guests and, and doing a good job of that because I said, I want to work hard as for the Lord. I didn't start out that way, but I grew into that. And before long, the higher-ups at Target were asking me, hey, would you consider staying on? We have, we have different scholarships available for college, and, and we have a, a career path, and you could jump into that. And, hey, would you consider staying on at Target? And I was like, no, no, I can't, no, I can't do that. Thank you. But as I worked hard in any level, and I'm not trying to brag about my work ethic, it took me six years to get there. But as I worked hard, as I was respectful in whatever job I had, God began to give me influence in that vocation. I think of Oswald Chambers, who started a seminary that eventually closed. That was his dream. That was what he felt like actualized his gifts and talents to start the seminary. That dream dies. And so he takes a job as a chaplain. And the story goes that the other chaplains at that time were just showing movies. They just thought, I'm going to take it easy. And and Oswald Chambers said, no, 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 that's that's not what God has called me to do. As a chaplain, I'm called to proclaim the gospel. And so he did that with excellence, even though it wasn't his dream job. Well, along the way, his wife, if you know the story, his wife starts taking notes of these gospel-centered, saturated sermons. She starts taking notes during these sermons. And little did he know, at some point, these notes would get published, 
And today, it's the second highest selling Christian book, devotional in the world, utmost for his highest, that came from those notes, that came from those notes while he was a chaplain, preaching at a job he didn't really love or didn't really seek out to do. It wasn't the dream job, but he worked hard where he was. Now, some of you are thinking, well, Tim, that's Oswald Chambers. I'm not that guy. Not only that, you don't know my boss. You don't know my situation. And the reality is, I, I don't. Some of yours I do. I, I hear you talk about your job. But some of yours I, I don't. But I do know some people in the Old Testament who had some crummy bosses, who had some crummy job situations, people like Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a little bit crazy, if you know the story at all. Daniel worked under him. I think of Mordecai and King Xerxes. King Xerxes, in the story of Esther, he was a little bit crazy and not a good boss, not a good situation. Mordecai, who worked hard under King Xerxes, helped rescue the Jewish people. I think of a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament who ended up working for Pharaoh, but before that worked for Potiphar, worked in Potiphar's house, ended up in prison, but he worked hard in every stage. And then he ended up in the palace. And when he was in Potiphar's house, primarily as a slave, he didn't think, woe is me. I'm not doing what I dreamed of doing. He worked hard. When he was in prison, he didn't think, ah, I'm in prison. Nobody's going to remember me. He worked hard. And then he ended up in the palace, second in command over all of Egypt. Because he worked hard. These are some horrible situations. I don't know your situation But I don't know if it was as bad as this. You see, the reality is a believer in God who works heartily can affect change. You can affect change. Maybe that's why God has you there. So instead of complaining about your situation, maybe you realize this is why God's put me here. Because the job isn't great. Because the culture of this company isn't good. Because this boss is crummy. And so that's exactly why he's put a believer in Jesus Christ, who has this desire to work excellence with soulful work to affect change in that job. Maybe that's precisely why you're there. Now, can you leave your job at some point? Maybe you need to do that. Maybe that's a conversation you need to have. You need to pray through that, get wise counsel on that. But I think as Christians, we're too quick to jump out instead of diving all the way in and saying, God, you've called me here for this time, for this purpose, to affect change by working heartily in whatever job, whatever situation that is. So that's our first point. We work heartily. We trust God with the rest. He affects change, and sometimes that means he changes our situation. The second thing, our second point, is that we work intentionally. We're going to hop out of Colossians 3 real quick. 2 Thessalonians, we'll have it on the screen. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 11 says this. It says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Some context for this passage. Paul in this passage is talking about idleness, talking about people who don't work hard and still want to eat and do all the things and just end up taking those things. And so he's talking about integrity and work. And he says, it's really interesting, verse 11, he says, Don't walk in idleness, or some of you walk in idleness. He says, some of you are busy bodies, 
but you're not busy at work. And just let that sink in for a minute, the contrast there. Don't walk in idleness. How's that work? Idle means to be still. How do you walk in idleness? Don't be a busy body who's not busy. How does that work? Well, at first glance, it seems confusing, but I think if you look at our culture, Paul was being prophetic. Rarely in our culture today, and I imagine someone in this culture with just different challenges, do you see people just do nothing, right? When's the last time you asked somebody, hey, what'd you do this week? And they said, nothing. I'd love to know. But no, what do we say? We say, I'm busy. That's just a busy season at work. When is it not busy? Hey, what'd you do today? Um, a lot, right? We experience this to the peak, to the pinnacle in our culture. Rarely are we doing nothing, but often we're walking idly. Often we're busy bodies, but not busy at actual work. We have a lot of movement, but no direction. We have a lot of action with no advancement. Right? See, just because you're busy doing things, just because you're walking, doesn't mean you're working effectively for the Lord. You can walk all kinds of ways. I can walk down here. I can walk to the side. I can walk backwards. We can move and not move us forward. And so what Paul is addressing is, hey, work heartily, but also work intentionally. What are you putting your hands to? Be meticulous about that. Be specific about that. Be intentional with your work. Some of you have experienced this when you are in a busy week. And somebody says, hey, hey, what did you do? And you're like, I don't know. What would you do at work today? I did a lot of stuff. I just, I can't remember specifically what I did because we have no intention. It all runs together. Uh, one of the things I do to help with this, as a pastor of a church plant, a church that's still building, we're three years old. As a church, we have amazing leaders who do a wonderful job, but I have my hands on a lot of different things. I don't want to do that forever, but right now, that's what, where we are. And so there's anywhere from leadership development to the ministries that we have, which we have several, to uh, the finances that we get into. We have an accountant who does all that and other people who help with that, but there's aspects to that, to the counseling, to the preaching to the um, visits and just caring for people who have messy lives, to the admin, to the events and coordinating all of that. And there's several things I have my hands in. And sometimes I was this guy. You asked me, what did you do this week? I did a lot of things. I can't tell you one, right? And so what I did is I wrote on a note card. It wasn't fancy. I just wrote on a note card one day at work just my top ten priorities. I just said, hey, what am I overall call to do. There's a lot to do, a lot needs to be done, but what are my priorities? And so I just started writing those things down, and I started just my personal devotion to God. The next one was my, my family. The next one was my church and, and preaching and leading and those type of things. The next one down was the care and the counseling. The next one down, and on and on you go, and I put that note card, and I taped it to my desk. And so every day when I walk in, just like you, there's a lot of things to do, right? There's a lot of things in my task list. My inbox is full, and I look at that card, and I start to reorient 
intentionality with my work. Now, that's for me, that's what I do. Maybe there's another tool that you can use, another way you can do that, whether you're a nurse, an architect, an accountant, a stay-at-home mom, a student, whether you're retired, how do you spend your time? Do you know what your priorities are? Could you write those out? Like within my job, my field, my calling, here's the best things I can do. Not just good things, not just the tyranny of the urgent. Here's the best things I could do. Would you even know what those things are? You need to take a moment to think those things through and write them down and put it before you. Put it in an Evernote, whatever it works for you. Put it before you every day so you're not just busy going all over the place. You're working in a singular direction because you're working with intentionality. And let me just say this. Uh, if you are retired, we have a few people that are in that stage of life as a church. And I think maybe you're wondering, and I talked to a couple of you who are wondering, okay, Tim, well, this used to apply to me. Uh, what do I do now? And so what I would say to you is your work now is what you do during the day, whatever that is. And you can make a list of what those priorities are in this stage of your life. Don't sell away in retirement, right? Make that time count too. This is now your work. And one of those things you may be able to put on the list is helping others work. Uh, we have a, a girl in our church who's a college student who just launched this middle school ministry that we talked about just a few minutes ago. Her name's Stacia, and she's doing a fantastic job. She has other leaders that are helping us, as you saw over here this morning. But she, she needs help as she navigates being a student and work and this. And so I contacted a lady in our church who has done youth ministry and worked, and now she's retired and not doing those things anymore. And I just said, hey, Cynthia, meet Stacia, and just connected them. And I said, you know, Stacia is doing a fantastic job with this middle school ministry. She could use some encouragement, some wise counsel. I said, Cynthia, Stacia wants, or Stacia, Cynthia wants someone to pour into, and she wants to help other people in that season of life. And so they're going to grab coffee this week and talk about that and help one another. Now, Cynthia doesn't work anymore in the technical sense, but her work now is helping others work. And raising up the next generation. Listen, if you are retired in our church, you need to stay at our church. And you need to help others work. In addition to all the great things that you do in the geocaching <laughs> and the vacations. Do all that. Live it up. But listen, God put some work in you so you can help others work. You have lessons that you have learned along the way that we can't learn yet. That other people can't learn Yet, they don't know what they don't know, and you can help them. You have perspective and practice that is invaluable. Use that. If you're thinking, oh, I don't want to walk up to somebody, email me, and I'll connect you. I'll send another one of those emails. There's plenty of people in our church who would love to hear from you. And so prioritize, work with intentionality, don't work aimlessly. Our third point is this, that we should work worshipfully. If we're going to have integrity in our work, we work heartily, sincerely, soulfully. We work intentionally, and then we work worshipfully. Look at Colossians 3 again with me. Verse 24. You see that we should work for the Lord. You see our reward is from the Lord. 
He says it blatantly just so we don't get confused. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So who's your boss right now? Joe, Sandy, I don't know your boss's names. But I do know your ultimate boss, your eternal boss, is Jesus Christ. You work for him. Your reward is from him. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever vocation you're in. And so what would that belief that work is really worship unto an eternal boss, Jesus Christ, what would that belief do to your work, to your Monday? How would that change how you approached your work, your work ethic, your work excellence, your work income? If you realize I have an eternal boss, it's Jesus Christ, that everything is his. He's the owner, I'm the steward, that I'll have bosses come and go, but he's my eternal boss. And what I do for my work, it serves him, it worships him, it makes much of him, whatever that is, if I work heartily and with intentionality. If you began to realize that, what would that do to your work ethic, your excellence, and your income? How would it change? I just think about even the, the income component on that. We're, we're striving and working to get mine, right? I just got to get mine. Whatever job I, I'm going to do, whatever job I'm going to work, I got to make sure it pays a certain amount. And we're thinking in terms of an owner, but God has made you a steward. And so even that income that you work for, it's a worship unto God. It can make much of him by you giving it away by you doing things like tithing, by you showing as, again, a mark of a believer is different than the world. Yes, we do things with excellence. Yes, great promotion. Yes, great advancement in your career. But it's never about you. It's about God working through you. And one of the ways we show that is how we give. I know some of the most influential people in my life aren't in vocational ministry. They're in the workforce, but they have said, my calling is to help uh, vocational ministry and help missionaries and churches by the way that I give, that I want to unleash the income that I have been given by God. I've been given by God into the world to help make disciples of all nations. Those are some of the most influential people in the world. Friday, we hosted a conference that was out of Dallas called Work as Worship. And it was a great conference. Some of you were there. And it was so impactful to hear from the pastors, but it was almost more impactful to hear from the CEOs and the business leaders who were Christians. That they got to talk about as practitioners what it looks like in their life to have work as worship. And it was so impactful to hear some of them say things like, hey, I just wanted to influence people for the glory of God with my work. One of those people was uh, Auntie Anne. Have you ever had a pretzel from Auntie Anne? Amen. Right? Good stuff. She was talking about her story, and she went through a lot of challenges in life, almost uh, got divorced from her husband, ended up getting back together, and at this time, she began to start this pretzel company that became Auntie Anne's. And it was so powerful because she began to talk about how because of what happened in their marriage, because of the devastation they had experienced, that as she rode this success of this pretzel company, she said, you know what, my purpose isn't just to make a buttery pretzel even though that's glorious. My purpose is bigger than that. Uh, my purpose is to help other people in their marriages. 
to help other people not get to the point where we were almost divorced. And so they began to take some of the profits from Auntie Anne's, and that began to unleash her husband to do marriage counseling. And so in Salado, Texas, Central Texas, they counsel people all the time in their marriages, and they don't charge them a dime because they want to have a purpose greater than just their profession. They want their work to be worship. That's powerful, isn't it? I mean, you know people like this. I know people like this. We should be people like this that worship God as believers in Christ with our work. God cares way more about how you work than what you do for work. Don't minimize what you do. Think about how you do it. How are you approaching your work? Is it with a worshipful attitude? What could God do with that? Billy Graham, who passed away this week, 99 years old, said this. He said, I believe that one of the next great moves of God is going to be through believers in the workplace. I think he's right. I think we see this happening in our society, that people who have integrity can have amazing influence. We're going to talk more about that next week, of what it looks like to work for the glory of God, but for the good of others, and, and have integrity that leads to influence. You have that opportunity in your work. And so I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to respond and see what this looks like for us in our vocations. Maybe some aspects of our work that need to change. Maybe some aspects of our work that we need to repent of. And just say, I haven't worked heartily. I haven't worked intentionally. My work has been about my elevation, not the elevation of Christ. And maybe we need to take this time to repent. To literally, repentance means to to turn. That maybe you're going after yours. You are getting uh, this prideful, arrogant Thing in work and it, it brings your security and it's all about you and you just think, well, one day when I get this other job, then it will change. No, that can change now. Repent from that. Turn from your way of work to God's way of work. If you have integrity in your work, everything will matter. If you don't have integrity in your work, nothing else will matter. You could be amazing at your craft. You could be a charismatic individual. You can have a lot of money. But if you don't have integrity, nothing else will matter. If you start with integrity, every single thing you do will matter. Whether you're working in a cube, whether you own your own company, whether you're a student or a stay-at-home mom, you start with integrity and all of it will count. In that work as worship conference as well, Phil Vischer, I'll close with this. Phil Vischer is the creator of VeggieTales. VeggieTales, any fans? Uh, my kids are not fans because it's veggies talking. So they never really caught on to that, creeped out by that. But, hey, what works? Whatever works, right? Uh, I loved hearing from Phil Vischer, though, is he talked about his story of starting VeggieTales and how uh, people talked about and he even talked about how he was going to be the Christian Disney. Right? And at one point he talked about we were all these employees and we were expanding and we were doing amazing things. And he said, as somewhere in that process, I got caught up in pride. And work stopped being worship unto God, even with VeggieTales. And it started being about me and my advancement. And he said somebody came alongside him that he didn't really know and just said, hey, watch that pride. And he was like, oh, okay, I don't really know what to do with that. And then like the next month, he would get an email from that same random person. 
and just say, hey, I love your work, love what you're doing, but just, just monitor that pride. And around this time, his company started to do really poorly. They started to get off track. I think they got sued. They had to file bankruptcy. And he started to think, okay, maybe that pride is part of this, part of this devastation, part of this destruction. And so he talked about this impact he wanted to have, be the Walt Disney of Christianity. And it was swallowed up by pride. And so he said this, it was really impactful for me and I think the people there. He said, impact we long for doesn't happen when we pursue impact. It happens when we pursue God. Think about that. The impact you long for doesn't happen when you pursue the impact. It happens when you pursue and he said, as I started to realize this and stop chasing the dream of Disney Christianity and stop making this about me, I found my purpose in God. And then the impact started to follow. His company rebounded, and they still make incredible veggie movies and shows that teach kids about Jesus. See, whatever your work is, it can make an impact, but don't chase the impact. Don't chase the influence. You work with integrity. You start there, and God can use that just like he did with Joseph in the Bible, just like he did with Oswald Chambers, just like he did with VeggieTales. God can do that for you because it's not about them, and it never was. It's about God working through them and through you. So what aspect of your work needs to change? You just talk to God about that. What aspect of your work do you need to turn from your way of doing things and turn towards his way of doing things, working heartily for the Lord, intentionally and worshipfully for the Lord? How could God use you? Because you say, I'm going to plant my flag here. I'm going to work with integrity. That's what I'm going to be known for, and it's going to point to Jesus in everything I do. What would happen if you did that? What would happen if collectively, as a church body, Little C Church, Big C Church, if the church of Jesus Christ worked with integrity. I think God would use that in amazing ways. Let's respond to that truth now. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for giving us the work that we have, that you have created it, it is good, and that you can use it for your glory and our joy. But God, we have to stop and, and, and stop and work with integrity and stop pursuing all the things that the world pursues, we have to stop and look at who we are and how we work, even more than what we do for work. So God, I pray that these few moments, as hard as that is to do, you would help us to analyze that, to evaluate that, to repent of some ways we haven't worked with integrity. That God, you would forgive us of those things and help renew a commitment, a dedication, a soulful work in whatever we do, and that you would make much of yourself through it. God, you have given us purpose in our work. Make disciples of all nations. We don't have to wait for that command. We don't have to wait for purpose. You've already given that command. Help us to live that out in whatever profession we find ourselves. For the glory of your name. In Jesus Christ's name.